Uh, they're staying overnight with their granny and granddads, which they always love to do. Uh, they've had a fantastic day with granny and granddad. They were out at the park. They had ice cream. It was wonderful. Uh, and now they're sitting on their beds uh, after just having their story read to them. Uh, and they say their prayers. So James, who's 10, starts. And he simply says, Dear God, please bless mummy. Please bless daddy. Please bless granddad. Please bless granny. Keep us all safe tonight. Amen. Short, straight to the point. Um, Harry, had a, who's age seven, had a slightly different approach. Please, Lord, please give me a Man United jersey for Christmas. Amen. And James says, Harry, you've no need to shout. God's, God's not deaf. I know, but granddad is. <laughs> Prayer is one of the easiest things and yet one of the most difficult things in the world to do. And we get into all sorts of trouble and all sorts of confusion when we misunderstand who we're supposed to be praying to and what he's like and what we're supposed to be praying for. Uh, and if you get those two things wrong, who and what, then it's going to lead you to pray either incorrectly uh, or not pray at all, uh, to leave it out. Um, and I think that little story illustrates the confusion very nicely. But it also, with little Harry, it captures the idea of what many, how many people view prayer. Uh, it's a bit like reading uh, a Christmas list to a Santa in the sky. So that's one approach to prayer. Um, just, uh, dear God, I would really like this, I would really like that, I would really like the other. Uh, for, for many other people, uh, prayer is viewed as something that you would only ever really consider doing if you were absolutely desperate uh, and in real trouble. Um, it's in the moments of crisis and the moments of desperate need while sitting in the exam hall uh, or making the mortgage application or whatever it is when we're in need at those moments we pray. Um, but I want you to see just from the verses that we've had up in, uh, that I just mentioned in Luke's gospel, Jesus had a radically different attitude to prayer, a radically different attitude. Uh, we see from the life of Jesus, it was simply prayer was woven into the fabric uh, of his daily life. We see that prayer was something that was part of his daily routine. It was part of his weekly schedule. Uh, in fact, Jesus, who was incredibly busy, incredibly busy, uh, prioritized prayer. And, and we read just a few moments ago of how he went up the mountain after an incredibly busy day, and he prayed all night because for Jesus, prayer was more important uh, than sleep. Uh, what we see with, uh, in the life uh, of Jesus, uh, not only from those little snippets, uh, little insights, but also just generally from the way he talked about his father, that for, for Jesus, prayer wasn't a dry duty, an obligation that he had to do to get rid of some guilt. Um, but it was something that he clearly enjoyed doing. He enjoyed spending time uh, with his father. Now, I think for many of us, for many of us, that is simply not our experience, is it? That's not our experience uh, when it comes to prayer. I don't think there's anybody here, well, maybe there's one or two, but I haven't, haven't, you haven't 
had that conversation where you've said, first thing I want to do in the morning when I wake up is jump out of bed and get on my knees and to pray. Uh, I, it's, it's something I delight to do. Uh, I, pr- I think I pray well. I pray consistently. I don't feel I need, need any teaching about this or any practice. I, I've, I've conquered that aspect of the Christian life. I think there's very few of us out there who would want to say that. Uh, I think if we're being brutally honest, for many of us, prayer is something that is boring. And we're not totally persuaded it does anything. Uh, For for any of us, prayer feels a bit of a burden. You know, when people like me stand up at the front and talk about prayer, we can all feel a bit guilty and a bit awkward. Um, Or for for many of us, when we do get around to praying, we do get around to praying, uh, we, we sit down and we pray for everything that we can think about. Pray for our family, pray for the day ahead, pray for world peace, pray for Theresa May and the Brexit negotiations. And then we pray for all of that. And then we look at our watch and like two minutes has passed and I've got nothing to say. Uh, Our mind starts to wander uh, and we think, I'm rubbish at this whole praying thing. And we give up and we unlock our phone and we get on with our day. I think that's that's the experience of lots of us uh, in this room. And look, I am not here this morning to set myself up as an expert in no way. I am a fellow struggler with you. I'm a fellow struggler. And so what I want to do is not tell you about the technique that I have found, uh, the app that I want to recommend. Uh, I want to stand up here and point you to Jesus again. To Jesus again. Because what we see in Jesus, what we see in his life, uh, is that he had an intimacy with his father that he enjoyed. He seemed to have a sense of peace in the midst of all the troubles and all the pressures uh, of life. He had a clear sense of purpose in his life. And if we want the experience of Jesus to be our experience, if we want peace and we want purpose, then actually the reality is we need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. If we want the experience of Jesus, we need to have the lifestyle of Jesus. And for Jesus, he clearly had a vibrant prayer life. And so what I want to do this morning, quite simply, is to echo the famous question that his disciples asked him in Luke's gospel when they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And with that said, we better do that. We better actually pray before we dive into this passage. So let me uh, let, let us uh, bow our heads and our hearts and let's pray for God's help. Lord, we pray please that you would teach us to pray. Many of us struggle to pray. We struggle to set aside the time to pray. We struggle to believe that prayer has any effect. We struggle to express ourselves before you. And we're nervous when we pray in front of others that we would look foolish or naive. Father, we we fail to pray. We confess often because our hearts are rebellious. We're so easily distracted. We've become depressed. For all of these different reasons, we fail to pray. We ask, please, this morning that you would teach us to pray. Inspire us to run to you to connect with you in prayer. Please help me as I speak. Help us all as we listen. 
uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've closed your Bible, could you turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we'll spend the rest uh, of our time here. Um, What we have here in Matthew 6 is the famous prayer that uh, the Lord taught his disciples, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Often it would be better called the Disciples' Prayer. Um, And what we have is clearly in the New Testament, we have a few hints that Jesus taught this prayer on several different different occasions. Uh, We've got uh, a short version in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. And here in Matthew 6, we've got the director's cut. We've got the slightly longer version uh, of the prayer. Uh, And in Luke's version, uh, he introduces it by saying, when you pray, say these words. So clearly this was a prayer that Jesus gave his followers that we should learn off by heart and recite. And perhaps that's something that we need to do more often Uh, when we gather together uh, on a Sunday. But notice how he introduces uh, the prayer here in Matthew 6. He says, this then is how you should pray. These are not just words that we need to learn off and recite, uh, but this this prayer is also a framework, a pattern that should shape us uh, and shape our prayers and our priorities as we come to God Uh, What I want to do uh, this morning is just to to touch on this prayer. In many ways, we're only going to get as far as the first line. Uh, But cut me a bit of slack. In June, we'll come back and look at this prayer in a bit more detail. Uh, The content of the prayer, uh, as well as some other aspects of prayer then in, in June, when we come back to this in a bit more detail. But what I want to do is I want to start where Jesus starts when thinking about this whole topic of prayer. Uh, And he starts back in verse 5. And in this little section, he wants to warn his disciples about having a wrong attitude as they come to prayer at all. Uh, We need to be careful uh, because it is possible for us to to come to prayer with wrong motives uh, and wrong attitudes. And so what I want to do this morning is to look at verses 1 to 8 and to look at our attitude when we come to pray. And then just at verse 9, just as we touch on the Lord's Prayer very briefly, to look at our access, the wonderful access uh, that we have uh, to God. So first then I want to look at our attitude Verses 1 to 9. Jesus has been teaching about some of the spiritual disciplines that uh, he wants his disciples to build into the regular rhythms of their lives. Uh, He talks about giving. Uh, He's talking uh, after this section about fasting. uh, And prayer is the other one. And Jesus is well aware that you could come and build those practices into your life. But do them for all the wrong reasons. And actually cause more harm than good. And two warnings then that he gives us in verses 5 to 8 of this little section of how we can get prayer wrong uh, is to be like the hypocrite uh, or to be like the pagan. So first then, don't be like the hypocrite when you come to pray, but be sincere, be sincere. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. The actual word that Jesus uses there, hypocriti, is actually the word that's often used of an actor, a stage actor. 
they often wore masks on stage. Uh, and so Jesus and, and were pretending to be something they're not. That's kind of the idea then that Jesus is saying that is true for these religious leaders in his day. And it seems that some of these religious leaders would have gone out into the public square, the street corner, in front of absolutely everyone, and would have either got down on their knees or got out their prayer shawl and prayed out loud for everyone to hear. Uh, It seems that that's what they were doing. Uh, And there, clearly Jesus is saying, They're insincere. They're insincere. If they do that, their audience is not God. The reality is their audience is other people. What they're really aiming for is not to be heard by God, but to be seen uh, by other people. And Jesus calls them out on that and says, you are hypocrites pretending to be something you're not. Uh, And Jesus says, look, they've received their reward in full if they do that. What's the reward that they're going to get? Well, it's the fleeting praise of other people. Oh, aren't they spiritual? Aren't they very eloquent? Uh, I wish I could pray like them. The praise of other people, which is there for a moment and then it's gone. Uh, That's the the entirety uh, of the reward uh, that they're going to get. But Jesus says, look, don't be like them. Don't act like them. Um, Instead, uh, you are to, verse 6, you're to uh, not go out onto the street corner, but verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, look, I don't think uh, that many of us are tempted to follow the example of those religious leaders uh, in the first century. I don't think there's too many of us here who are tempted to go down to Corn Market uh, this afternoon, uh, to go onto the bandstand there and get down on our knees and pray out loud for everybody to hear. I don't think there's any of us who are particularly tempted uh, to do that. Uh, Because, to be honest, we know that it would have the opposite effect of what these guys are aiming for. Rather than impressing other people, people will think we're bonkers. Uh, And so we're not at all tempted to do that. But it is possible, it is possible within a Christian community... Uh, to pray and to fall into the trap of the hypocrites. To pray where we are more concerned about what other people think than about speaking honestly to God. And I think there's many of us who have, uh, perhaps we've been guilty of it, but certainly we've heard it. We've heard it if you've been around the Christian community and church life for any length of time and you've prayed with a group of people, no doubt you will have heard someone pray where they use language that they don't normally use to regularly communicate with friends or family. I think we've all heard that, haven't we? Uh, We praise thee, omnipotent, triune, sovereign Lord, For thy manifold blessings which thou hast bestowed upon us, lowly transgressors. And we ask, Lord, that thou would vouchsafe to us thy thy abundant mercy, and so on and so on forth. Look, if you talk like that to your wife or husband or your friends, that's totally fine. That's fine. I feel sorry for them, but that's fine. But if you don't normally talk like that, don't pull that language out at the prayer meeting or in your prayer triplet or in a home group setting. That is showy. 
And God is not impressed by that. Because if you hear someone pray like that, you're bound to ask the question, who are they praying to? And I think the answer is they're trying to pray to us, to be heard by us. Don't, don't pray like that. God wants us to be sincere, to have God as our audience and talk to him. Um, but of course we can fall into the opposite danger. Uh, where we pray with showy, flowery language to be so that other people are impressed by us. But the, the opposite, equal and opposite danger is to not pray at all because we're so terrified that other people will think our prayers are feeble and faltering or theologically imprecise. And the fear of what other people think silences us. Look, God is not impressed by the way that we pray. He's not impressed. Uh, if you think about it, uh, imagine a, a, a married couple. A married, imagine a married couple, and they only spoke to each other with kindness when the guests were in or friends were around. And when the guests left or the friends are not around, communication dries up. Now, that's, that's catastrophe for a marriage relationship, isn't it? if you only speak to one another with kindness for the benefit of other people. Jesus is saying, don't let that. Don't destroy your relationship with God by acting in a similar way. No, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, please don't misunderstand Jesus. I don't think he's saying you should never pray in public. Jesus himself prayed in public. I think the point that he's making in the context is really clear. He's saying, pray in the same way in public as you do in private. Focusing your communication solely on God to connect with him, to please him, irrelevant of who happens to be listening. And when you pray with sincerity like that, we're told by Jesus that your father will reward you now, Jesus doesn't go into any details about what the reward of sincere prayer looks like, but I think we get a few hints as we read on in the New Testament. Uh, as we read on in the New Testament, we see that when we pray, when we pray, one of the great rewards of prayer is that God meets with us personally. God meets with us personally. Now, I'm sure given it's not that far from Valentine's Day, I'm sure there's quite a proportion of people in this room who took their special someone uh, out for a meal uh, and had a lovely conversation. Uh, when you go out in that sort of setting, uh, what is the goal of your conversation? Is your goal so that you can give your tongue some exercise and speak? Is the goal speaking? Of course not. The goal is that you connect. You connect that you communicate, you enjoy each other's company and experience the relationship that you've got. Um, and so uh, the same is true for prayer. Paul Miller puts it really helpfully in his little book on prayer, The Praying Life, where he says prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. Or uh, as the Apostle James puts it in James chapter 4, verse 8, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. As we pray, 
we are given wonderfully the gift of a, a sense of God's presence and love that is made real to your heart by the Holy Spirit when you pray. One of the great rewards of prayer is that God meets with us personally. The second reward of prayer, as you read on in the New Testament, is that God answers our prayer. And I think this is something that we maybe struggle with. Prayer really does work. God really does answer prayers. Uh, If you don't believe this, it will hamstring you in your whole prayer life. If it's just a duty and you don't think it works or makes a difference, then actually you will, in the end, never do it. But again, James says in James 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. If you don't ask, then you're not going to get. And therefore, if you do ask... You might get. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes circumstances. Prayer changes people. Prayer changes you as you pray. Prayer is powerful. It works. God has chosen in his wisdom and the way that he set up this universe that God works in response to our prayers. Prayer works. One of the great rewards of prayer then is answered prayer. And then thirdly, prayer uh, God gives us peace as we pray. God gives us peace as we pray. Famously, uh, Paul said in uh, Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you're anxious about something, take it to God and pray. And the the reward of that is that you may experience the peace of God. Now, let me be clear. When I say the peace of God, I am not saying, the New Testament is not saying, all your problems will melt away. Not at all. In many cases, there will be still problems to be faced, still illness to endure, still difficulties to experience and um, disappointment to uh, to undergo and um, things will not immediately go away but what you will experience in the midst of the storm while all that is still happening you will experience a deep calm in your soul prayer through prayer we experience the, the presence of God God answers our prayers and gives us peace So then, don't be like the hypocrite. Pray sincerely to God. That should be our first attitude then, sincerity. The second attitude that Jesus gets at in this little section is be sensible. Be sensible. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the pagans. Verse 7, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. The word babbling there is is the word really meaning mindless repetition mindless repetition just keep saying the words over and over and over and over again thinking that you'll twist God's arm or bend him into submission perhaps a modern equivalent might be uh, our Muslim friends who pray five times a day the same prayers over and over and over and over again Uh, or the, the, the 
strict Roman Catholic, takes out the rosary beads and prays the same prayers and creeds over and over and over again. As if God will be moved because of your many words. Jesus is saying, no, no. And look, repetition is not the problem. Jesus goes on to teach a parable uh, of the persistent widow. And the point of the whole parable is that you should keep praying and not give up. So the point is not, the, the problem is not repetition in itself. The problem is with mindless repetition is that we are often treating God as a heavenly slot machine. That if we put in the right tokens of the right words, said the right number of times, we can pull the crank and out comes the blessing that we want. Uh, But God is not a slot machine. God is a person. A person who is good and wise. And so what we're called to do is not just to go through the motions and pray the set prayers over and over and over again mindlessly. We are called to pour out our hearts uh, to God. I came across uh, this little quote. I couldn't find out who said it, but the quote is worth repeating in and of itself. When we pray, then, we are not informing one who is likely to forget. We aren't persuading one who is reluctant. Uh, um, we aren't obligating a reluctant scorekeeper. We aren't manipulating an unthinking force. We are pouring our hearts out to our Father. That's a beautiful idea. And so pray sensibly. What should our attitude then be when we come to pray? Well, don't be like the hypocrite. Be sincere. Don't be like the pagan. Be sensible. Be sensible. That's the attitude then that we need to cultivate when we come to pray. And then we get to the first line of Jesus' prayer, which is all we have time to look at this morning. So if Jesus talks in verses 5 to 8 about our attitude. In verse uh, 9, he talks about our access, our access. He begins with these mind-blowing words. Our Father in heaven. I came up with at least nine points that I feel you should know on the basis of those four words, but we don't have time for that. Uh, so all I'm going to give you is two ideas, and here's why you pay me the big bucks, folks. Is here's two ideas. He is our Father, and He is in heaven. Okay, there you go. There you go. First, then, He is our Father. He is our Father. Uh, in the British royal household at the moment, uh, little George, Prince George, will grow up hearing his dad addressed and referred to in a, with a whole bunch of different titles. Uh, your Royal Highness, Your Majesty, Sir. But actually, little George, along with Charlotte and Louis, they are the only ones who get to address Prince William as Daddy. Expressing this idea of their intimacy, the access they have, the privilege uh, that they enjoy. And Jesus is saying here, now Jesus could have started, think of all the different ways Jesus could have started this prayer. Uh, In Jewish culture, in Jesus' day, there were all sorts of different ways of addressing God. uh, Lord of hosts, almighty God, 
God of Israel, God of our fathers, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's all these different ways. Our, our maker, our sovereign, our righteous judge, our king. He could have used any of those titles, but yet what does he choose? Incredibly, he chooses these words, our father. And the truth is, these words have been robbed of their shock because we have been taught to say these words since we, most of us were in school. It is utterly shocking that Jesus would say that we can address the God who thought up the atom and flung stars into space, that we can address him as our father with such intimacy and access and privilege. In fact, the Aramaic word that Jesus no doubt used, being an Aramaic speaker himself, uh, was the word Abba. The word Abba, it's got nothing to do with this, the band, uh, but it, it's, it's this term of reverent intimacy. Now, it's really difficult to translate Abba into English. Um, we might think it's, father is too distant, dad is, daddy is maybe too disrespectful. Um, in fact, it's a word, Abba, that was used by infants, Abba, 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 as they learn to speak. But it was also a word used by adult children to refer to their father uh, in uh, Jewish culture. So perhaps maybe the best parallel today might be something like the Mediterranean folks use when they refer to Papa. Papa can be a word used by a little child, yet a word of respect uh, by an adult. However, it's worth saying, not Everyone can address God like this. Not everyone can address God like this. Um, the New Testament is clear that God is our creator. He is the maker of all of us. The one who gives us life and breath. And therefore, in a sense, we are all his offspring. But actually, the New Testament is clear that we are not naturally God's children. We're not naturally God's children. And so uh, John, in the very opening chapter of his gospel, uh, when he talks about the purpose for which Jesus has come, uh, he can say, uh, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God needed to do something for us to become children of God or in Galatians 4 when Paul talks about the very reason why God sent his son into the world to be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonships to be adopted into God's family that's why Jesus has come and so only those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus only those who are his disciples have the privilege of referring to God as our Father. But this prayer is obviously an offer. It's also an invitation. And so if you're here this morning and you would say that you are not yet uh, a Christian, you wouldn't self-identify as a follower of Jesus, then this prayer should be seen as an offer held out to you. This could be a privilege that you've got. You can too enjoy. And all you've got to do is talk to God and say sorry for how you've lived and rejected him in the world that he's made. Live for yourself instead of him. To thank him for sending Jesus to die for you. 
uh, and ask that he might please forgive you and welcome you into his family. And when you do that, then the privilege of praying this prayer becomes yours. With that said, for those of us who are Christians, I also appreciate that there's many of us in the room here this morning for whom the word father is a difficult term. Uh, It carries with it, for for some of us, uh, negative connotations, negative ideas. Um, The word might be connected with someone who has been critical or cold towards you, someone who's been disinterested or absent, or at worst, someone who has been violent or abusive to you in the past. And perhaps your bad experiences in the past might poison this word for you. And perhaps it's something you don't want to to use in your prayer life. But I, I want to suggest that that would be a mistake. That would be a mistake. Uh, I want you to imagine just for a moment the father you wished you had, if that's your experience, if you had a, had a negative experience in the past. Imagine the father you wished you had someone who is wise and caring, someone who is attentive and generous and loving and kind. And then imagine that person, and then imagine you could filter out of that person any hint of being selfish or overbearing, any hint of weakness or cruelty, any hint of abuse or neglect. What you'd be left with would be a perfect human father. And can I say that the fatherhood of God outstrips even the perfect human father by about a million fold. God is perfectly, infinitely generous and wise and kind. And the question then is, why would you not? Why would you not want to have an intimate, ongoing relationship Uh, where you communicate with your father. Um, Richard Cogan has written a little book on uh, the Lord's Prayer, which we'll promo later on in the year, called Our Father. And in the intro, he says this, I am convinced that most of our problems uh, in prayer originate from a failure to comprehend these two little words, Our Father. Our Father. I think that's right. Uh, Look, I freely admit I am far from a perfect father. Far, far from a perfect father. But in a room of screaming children, I will still be able to pick out the cry of my own son. Most of us who are parents will be able to do that. I know from the tone of his voice, if he's scared if he's upset or he's hurt. And my instinct when I detect that is to try to help him in any, in any way I can. Now if I, as an imperfect father, want to do that, how much more do we have a heavenly father who is attentive to our cry, whose instinct is to help us, and who is good our access then, what is the access we have? We have access, unrestricted access to a heavenly Father whose intentions towards us are absolutely good and will never withhold something from us that's ultimately for our good. 
I think once you get that, if you understand that, then actually prayer becomes, that will launch your prayer life. Because you'll want to spend time, enjoy the company of a heavenly father, knowing not only that he loves you, and this is a bit of a revelation for me, not only that he loves you, but he also likes you. He likes you. He wants you to spend time with him. Our Father. And very briefly, he is, God is our Father. He's our Father. But also he is in heaven. He is in heaven. Now the words in heaven do not refer to God's postal address. So if you want to send him a card, you know, God in heaven. Right? That's not what you... Heaven is not referring to his address. Heaven is not referring to this remote place beyond the clouds. Heaven is not referring to a place that's still in the future. We go to heaven in the future. No, in the Bible, the actual term here that's used is the heavens. God is in the heavens. And it really speaks of this idea that he is over all. He is over all. Psalm 115 verse 3 said, Our God is in the heavens. And so he does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. He is over all. He's the king. He's in control. Um, the theologian J.I. Packer said this, Our Father speaks of the quality and depth of God's love to Christ's people. All the sustained care and concern that a perfect father could show who art in heaven, he's using a, an older version of the Bible there, uh, sets before us the fact that our divine Father is great, eternal, infinite, almighty. Thus the phrase makes us realize that God's love is unchanging, unlimited, and unconquerable in its purpose, and more than able to deal with all the needs he, we bring him when we pray. God is our Father. We have unrestricted access to someone who is attentive to us, loves us, likes us, and wants to enjoy our company. We have access as well, Jesus wants us to know, to our Father in heaven, that there is nothing that we can ask him that is impossible for him, nothing that is beyond his ability to answer. And I think that is a very potent combination then. Our Father in heaven, who is willing and able to answer your prayers and grant uh, and to and to help us in any way uh, that we can even imagine. And so, what we need then, I think, as we even begin to think about prayer, is not a new technique. It's not new self-discipline. It's not a new app on your phone. What we need most if we are to see any sort of change uh, in our prayer lives is we need to have a clearer grasp of our Father in heaven. Our Father uh, in heaven. Now, I confess this has been a weak spot for me in my uh, discipleship uh, to Jesus. Uh, Prayer has always been something I've struggled with. And when someone brought up the subject, I used to feel guilty about it. Uh, But as I've tried to do it more in this past year, I have found my heart beginning, it's just beginning to change so that I actually begin to enjoy it more. Begin to enjoy it more. Enjoy spending company 
uh, time in the company of my father. Now, again, I, it's, for me, it's been three steps forward, two steps back. Uh, I'm still uh, a dad um, with a busy job uh, and a smartphone, and it's always going to be a challenge for me. Um, but my prayer for us and for me is that our hearts begin to change. That what has been a practice, something we feel we ought to do, would become a pleasure, a pleasure as we enjoy more and more spending time with our Father in heaven. Well, let's do exactly that. Let's pray together.